Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. I'm so glad to have all of you with us as we move into this last week of June in uh, 2023. The weather is already really summery. Hot, hot weekend. And then terrible storms moved through a good part of the state. We got hit very, very hard where we live out toward uh, into Cab County. And uh, I think some of the rest of you were hit pretty hard as well out there. So I hope You've got your power back on. Uh, Georgia Power, I think, reported about 250,000 uh, people without power. One of our panelists, who I'll introduce in a minute, is still trying to get uh, power back on. Um, but let's get right to the show because we have a lot to talk about. Um, it's Monday, which means my partner from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is Patricia Murphy. She is a political reporter and, of course, writes the Political Insider column for the AJC and oversees the jolt where they're taking sort of summer hours. Good for you, Patricia. Thank you, Bill. That means I start working at 6 a.m. instead of 3.30 a.m., which feels <laughs> decadent. <laughs> Truly luxurious. I, 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 so just, just a little behind-the-scenes uh, note. Uh, you and I uh, are both up at 4 a.m., and we've uh, said on several uh, occasions, we're the only two people we can text to each other at that hour because we know the other is going to be there. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, unfortunately, I have found that my my morning hours don't preclude evening hours in this job. So we're trying to just rejigger yeah. <laughs> schedules just a bit. Good, good, good. Well, thank you for being here uh, today. Uh, the former me. attorney general, the former attorney general of the state of Georgia, Sam Olins, is back with us. Prior to that, Sam was the very, very highly respected chairman of the Cobb County uh, Commission, and now he's with Denton's, the world's largest law firm. Hi, Sam. You're muted, Sam. I apologize. Good morning, Bill. A pleasure to be with you all this morning. Um, and, and I always love having you on the show with a colleague of yours. You're in you over, traditionally have uh, represented uh, different parties. You have been a mainstream Republican. Michael Thurman, now the DeKalb <laughs> County uh, CEO, a uh, longtime Democrat. But the two of you uh, have worked together on any number of issues. And you kind of represent, Michael Thurman, the sort of collaborative, cooperative, respectful approach that's completely gone from government today. How are you, Mike? I know you still haven't got your power back. Uh, no power, no internet, but be uh, happy to be with you and I'm delighted uh, to be with my partner, uh, my Republican friend, who I respect highly, Sam Olins, and of course, Ms. Murphy as well, and this entire panel. We're, we're struggling, but but I'm more concerned about the other thousands in DeKalb County who may be without power this morning. Yeah, I saw that there's a lot of people in our county who are still uh, uh, hoping to get the lights back on. Um, Rick Dent is back with us as well. You know, Rick became, you became a regular on this show uh, during the election seasons 
when no one followed the advertising buys, the fundraising uh, of campaigns as closely as you did. And you've just become one of the regulars who we love having on most. So thanks for being here today, Rick. Look, thanks for letting me appear one last time. I, I got to say, you know, 30 years ago this month, Bill, I came to Atlanta yeah. to work for Governor Zell Miller. And my first day, he said, you will be fired if you can't build three relationships in this city. And looking back, I realized what he was talking about was really the Mount Rushmore political journalist. The first was Bill Shipp, the columnist and former AJC. Number two was the Associated Press Bureau Chief, Dick Pettis. And number three was WSB's Bill Nygut. And if, yeah, that's well, not a Mount Rushmore, if that's not a Mount Rushmore of political journalists, I mean, come on. Right. And, and look, and I got to say right. one other thing. The fact no, that this no, 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 no. The fact oh. that this organization is ending this oh. is senseless. Oh. Okay. That's all I wanted oh, to say. Okay. I'm going to hang up now okay. and listen to the panel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, I think maybe we're going to mute you for the rest of the show. Look. It is true. We are into our. We are in our. It is true that we are in our final week of political rewind, um, and and it's also true that there's so many of you who have written to me, posted on social media. But but look, my commitment this week is I want to do this last week with grace, and a certain amount of integrity. I don't want to be talking about what's happened at GPB. The politics of the day are much more important right now. But thank you, Rick. I I appreciate your your comments. All right, Patricia, I really do want to talk about the Sherry Boston story um, because it may be a story that sort of mostly impacts people who are in Atlanta because it's about the Atlanta Police Center. But on the other hand, it, it is a statewide story because, you know, Sherry Boston is a Democrat. She's coming into some tension with Chris Carr, the Republican attorney general, over the issue of how they're going to handle prosecutions I think especially on the domestic terror charges that have been filed against some of, of the that have been filed against some of the uh, protesters at the Atlanta Police Training Center. Patricia Sherry Boston announced on Friday that she is withdrawing her office from prosecuting cases related to the uh, protests, um, which is located in DeKalb County, which is why she's involved at all. Patricia, give us a little more information about this. Yeah, so um, Sherry Boston has said that she has found that she has uh, what she called uh, philosophical differences, uh, prosecutorial philosophical differences with Attorney General Chris Carr on a number of these cases. Mm -hmm. Her office released a statement saying that as she reviewed the evidence in particular and the charges against the protesters, she felt like her office uh, did not want to be involved in those prosecutions. They typically do these in concert with each other, although I'd like 
the lawyers on the panel to get into that, how that works. Um, but she very specifically withdrew from these prosecutions. One of the ones that we understand was a particular sticking point is something that George Chidi reported in The Intercept. Uh, it was specifically over an attorney with the Southern Poverty Law Center. He was there as an official observer of the protests when there was this kind of mass sweep up of protesters. That was the same event that had um, a number of figures saying are questioning, are these arrests going too far, particularly after they were all charged with domestic terrorism, including the attorney who was there in kind of an official observer capacity. And um, Sheedy reported that uh, the DA's office wanted to drop those domestic terrorism charges that Chris Carr's office disagreed. And, and now we see that she's pulled out of all of the prosecutions altogether. I think that this is not just a local story or even just a state story. I think it's a national story because mm. the Public Safety Training Center has gotten so much attention and because it is becoming, some of these prosecutions and charges are becoming a major kind of example or flashpoint of the significant differences between Democrats and Republicans on prosecutions and um, going forward with charges that are seen by some as being too aggressive and inappropriately aggressive and punitive and an effort to um, uh, kind of quash dissent over this entire situation. Uh, Sam, we should point out that Governor Kemp uh, and, and Attorney General Carr, uh, quite some time ago when there were some relatively violent protests, I mean, there were Molotov cocktails, bricks thrown at law enforcement, they made it clear uh, early on they were going to draw a line. It's part of a law and order agenda that they as Republicans have established. But, but Sam, on the other side of this, at a certain point in this, the Attorney General's office essentially said, and, and I may be over- uh, generalizing, because I'm uh, what the specifics are about this, that basically the Department of Homeland Security had established guidelines for what is uh, domestic terrorism, and that's what they were basing their charges on. The Department of Homeland Security said just because people are part, are you know, uh, that, that that people who are in an organization can't necessarily be considered domestic terrorists because they participate in a protest that that organization is part of. I think I've got that pretty well right, Sam, but what's your take on all this as an attorney and former attorney general? So none of us were there. None of us, frankly, know what the lawyer was doing, if anything, or if he was literally just observing. And I hesitate to make rash comments when I don't have firsthand observation. Uh, I respect greatly both the Attorney General and the DeKalb County DA. I've known Sherry Boston uh, from before she became DA, and I think she's one of the best DAs we have in the state of Georgia. Um, I think the issue was very serious. I think it deserves attention. But I also think that without knowing a factual analysis of what occurred, I'm not comfortable making such decisions. Okay. Um, I do think, Mike Thurman, I want to bring you in. This is all happening in your territory over in DeKalb County. Um, give us your thoughts on what your DA decided, obviously operating independent of you as CEO, but give us your thoughts on this. 
Well, I'll slightly disagree with my with my friend Sam Olins. I think she's the best DA in the state of Georgia, and she is a woman of high integrity. And this is not a decision she came to lightly. And I think obviously she gave it a great deal of consideration. And you have to respect the fact that she had the courage uh, to stand up and make what is. And I think Patricia Murphy is absolutely right. Uh, and a decision of great import, uh, not just here in Georgia, but I think nationally. Uh, now, of course, uh, the attorney general uh, will have to, and he said that he's going to proceed. Uh, the challenge is in the defense. It's going to be difficult, not necessarily impossible, but very uh, difficult to prosecute uh, in this particular environment. And think about it now, prior to DA Boston making this decision, our two senators had also raised concern about potential overreach uh, in the charging of at least some of these defendants. So this is a very fluid situation. And I just tell you, Bill, sitting here in the cab, we, I don't know what's going to happen next. And it's, mm -hmm. it's been one of the most amazing uh, political slash legal dramas that I've ever had the opportunity to be involved in at any level uh, in my career. Um, that's, that's really a fascinating point to make. It has been an extraordinary drama, which is why Patricia Murphy, of course, reminded us this is a national story. Rick Dent, there's another context. And the reason I talked about a Democratic district attorney and a Republican attorney general uh, is because, of course, in the last session of the General Assembly, one of the most controversial pieces of legislation was one which would uh, allow the state to have oversight over uh, district attorneys uh, across uh, the state. And it was based on the fact that there are Republican accusations that uh, – some district attorneys just plain aren't pursuing crime the way they need to. Now, Sherry Boston really is respected across party lines. So it'd be hard to imagine that anybody's going to, that, that the legislature is going to try to come after her job, although you never know. Nevertheless, that is a larger political context in, in terms of her decision to say, I'm not going to prosecute. Look, n number one, it, it's a very courageous decision on her part. Number two, before I even get started, look, this is a complete overcharge based on a lie. And the lie was that Homeland Security says this is domestic terrorism. And when government starts lying to me, it bothers me a lot. I'll tell you what bothers me the most. We have a Republican attorney general who's going to march in the court now to try to prosecute these environmentalists who are terrorists under his definition. But at the same time, when people try to steal an election in the state of Georgia, he does nothing. He doesn't raise a finger. I will submit to you that the greatest danger to democracy and to me is someone stealing my election results, not a bunch of environmentalists trying to protect a piece of property in DeKalb County. Sam? Respectfully, the latter point by Rick. When the Texas Attorney General and several other Attorney Generals sued Georgia, 
on the Trump theory that uh, the election was stolen. He defended the state. He and Governor Kemp took a huge amount of grief for defending the rule of law. Throughout that process, Attorney General Carr stood strong and stated, consistent with the Secretary of State, that the election was handled properly. Uh, unless you're in that world, you really have no idea how much grief General Carr took. Um, neither, he, you know, he couldn't show up to a Republican Party meeting for a long time because he was considered a traitor for not following that Trump set of lies. So I would suggest to you that he strongly did defend the rule of law, strongly did um, say that Trump and his ilk were totally wrong. Uh, and that's not an area, frankly, where he should be questioned. All right. I, thank you both for your, your uh, thoughts about that. But I want to return very briefly, uh, Patricia, to talking about the Sherry Boston uh, prosecute, dropping of prosecution against the protesters. Just enough to say these are incredibly serious charges. These uh, defendants face potentially decades in prison. Now, not all of them were environmental activists. We know that there were those who came in um, who seemed to be uh, uh, eager to get into a confrontation with law enforcement. Uh, but it is also true that no matter what they were here for, they face major charges and long terms in prison. Yeah, and I think it's important for all of these, and I, I'm sure, I assume this will be the case, they'll be dealt with on a case-by-case -case basis because the protesters in this situation are all can be very different from each other. Some are truly environmentalists, worried about the watershed there in DeKalb County. Over at City Hall, I did a column on um, the death threats coming in for city council members, uh, death threats against their children. Every member of the city council had to have police protection after that vote for funding. Um, and uh, one of them had to move out of their houses because the threat was seen as so severe. So um, I think there, there are so many different pieces of the opposition. It has formed to create this, what feels like kind of this big front of opposition, but each protester and each person who was arrested and those sweeps really needs to be evaluated individually because it's a lot of different kinds of people, different kinds of protests. Some I think is quite benign and kind of in the spirit of peaceful protest. Others, uh, at least as far as the city council goes, are, are not that at all. All right, um, let's move on. This is going to be really an important story to follow in the weeks and months ahead. Mike, well, before we do move on, because it is your terror story, do you have any final comp comment you want to make on all this? Well, similar to what uh, Patricia said, we, you can't paint this with a broad brush. There are so many iterations and nuances in this issue. Look, I, I've been the target of some of the threats. Let's just be clear. So it's real. But I've said from day one that the people who uh, advocate violence or participate in it did not represent the majority of the people who were protesting against DeKalb County and or uh, the, the uh, training center. But we just have to be careful. Look, I agree with Sam on one point. It was 
this Republican administration, the attorney general slash the governor, were one of the few who did not buy into the extremism and the election denying uh, that took place all across this country. So I don't want to damn anyone with the broad brush. It needs to have nuance. We need to look at each case. Uh, I understand where my DA stands on it. I understand where Chris caught. Look, I've been targeted by people who were threatening. So I want people who are threatening violence to uh, be given their day in court. So we have to be very, very careful uh, in a very potentially volatile situation in terms of how we articulate and even try to grasp and understand the issues as they unfold. All right, Mike, Mike, I, we do have to take another moment because I think the two reporters, me and Patricia Murphy, our ears perked up because we have not heard before that you faced threats. Um, how have you dealt with that? You have added security. Um, what's happened? What kind of threats were you getting? We we just can't let that go completely. Well, we did add security. It was a moment in time, and we moved on. Uh, I have to do my job. You know, that's the reality. That's why I, I so um, relate to and admire the men and women on the Atlanta City Council and on the mayor uh, who were the subject of nothing. And I've not been subjected to anything like they faced uh, when they cast the vote to uh, fund the training center. And I don't care where you are on the issue, uh, to have your family threatened, and that becomes really the bridge too far. We sign up as elected officials to have people say, and even sometimes uh, 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 argue for or against us in any way they see fit. We're not protected from that. But when you begin to attack or threaten family members, it's just a bridge too far, and it's unacceptable. And I can't accept that at any level. All right. Thank you, Mike. I, I think we all are really sorry to, to hear about threats against you or anyone uh, out there because of a difference in where you stand on an issue. Patricia, I, I, as long as we've been talking about state uh, matters, talking about uh, uh, Governor Kemp, talking about Chris Carr, I want to start with you on this conversation about the column that Michelle Cottle wrote for the New York Times uh, late last week. And I'll read you the lead. I thought she really captured uh, exactly how Brian Kemp is positioning himself in the state and actually in national politics. I'll read you the lead, and then we can talk about what her point is. She says, quick quiz. Which popular governor has been sweet-talking electric vehicle industries and developing EV infrastructure in his state with an eye toward making it the electric mobility capital of America? If you guess Brian Kemp of Georgia, give yourself a high five, maybe even a high ten, because on the face of it, there's no reason to guess that an ultra-conservative leader of a reddish-purple state is a green vehicle revolutionary. The issue remains a favorite culture war cudgel for Republicans, slamming Democrats as a bunch of bedwetters wrecking the economy over an inflated threat. Well, of course, what she goes on to say, Patricia, is that Brian Kemp is not framing this as an environmental issue, uh, as a global warming issue. He's talking about it as an economic issue. And I thought that tells us a lot about how Brian Kemp views politics in general. Oh, absolutely. We, we know we've been writing about this really 
fascinating move by Kemp to really put Georgia at the forefront of what he calls the electric mobility industry. It was really the top topic of his inaugural speech um, in January uh, for his second term. This was really very clearly his goal is to continue to land these huge manufacturing projects. Uh, there's a huge one coming in uh, outside of Savannah for Hyundai. There's one coming in east of Atlanta. <laughs> Um, in Rutledge, and uh, but he doesn't sell it as green energy or green technology. I think he's a realist. He sells it as jobs, as economy, as economic development, and it's all of those things. And I think the reason Kemp has been successful um, in a lot of ways is because he doesn't draw either or distinctions on a number of issues, including on what it means to be a Republican today in Donald Trump's world. Um, he is saying you can be a conservative and go up against Donald Trump without being a never Trumper. Um, he's saying you can try to get these huge EV companies and not make a big deal about it. You know, it doesn't have to be either or. You can have it be both. It can be both something that the Democrats want to see and the Republicans take credit for by getting those factories in. Now, he also has spoken out against the Inflation Reduction Act which had billions of dollars in incentives for those exact same Georgia companies, Georgia-based uh, plants, rather. Um, so he is trying to sort of have it both ways on that, but that money's coming in from the Inflation Reduction Act. Those companies get it, and you know everybody wins in that scenario. Uh, Rick Dent, you've worked for three Southern governors. Uh, your thoughts on this? I think it would be like James Carville used to say, it's about jobs, stupid. <laughs> Look, he's talking about jobs. He's talking about opportunity. He's talking about making Georgia an economic engine for the future. The irony is he's talking like a Republican, or at least the way Republicans used to talk. And that's why he's successful. That's why he won in Georgia, because he gets it and his staff gets it. And what is it that they get? And I know this is like beating up a dead horse. They understand to win an election, you have to appeal to white, suburban, college-educated women. And if you can't do that, you cannot win. And that really is the essence. He's talking like a Republican. Who would have thunk in 2023 that would be a winning <laughs> message? Sam Olins. <laughs> so when, when, uh, when Governor Kemp was first running for office, he talked about helping rural Georgia. He talked about bringing back jobs to rural Georgia. And it was immediate upon his swearing in <laughs> that the State Department of Economic Development was spending more and more time on jobs throughout the state rather than solely the main urban corridors of the state. And I think Governor Kemp deserves an awful lot of credit for that. That's not, as Rick stated, it candidly should not be a Republican idea or a Democrat idea. It ought to be a one Georgia idea that you're bringing jobs to our state. And throughout the first term, the second term, the consistency of this governor has been the um, Power he's given Pat Wilson and the Department of Economic Development to do everything possible to bring jobs throughout our state. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. 
Sam Olins gets the last word in the first segment of the show. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, how uh, two different candidates for the Republican nomination uh, talked to a gathering of evangelicals uh, over the weekend. Uh, one of them got booed, the other greeted with great acclaim. We'll talk about that more after these messages. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Sam Olins, Michael Thurman, Patricia Murphy, and Rick Dent, who I didn't introduce as vice president of uh, Matrix, uh, a, a, group, a group that does a great deal of uh, government uh, relations work, but Matrix Communications. So, Rick, I want to make sure I acknowledge that's what you do for a living these days. In fact, Rick, why don't we start with you as the former a uh, 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 political consultant, a guy who's worked with governors. So Ralph Reed had his Faith and Freedom Coalition annual meeting in Washington over the weekend. And um, a number of presidential candidates uh, were there. Ralph had called it a, quote, testosterone booster shot for GOP candidates. Uh, Trump was received with tumultuous applause, talked about the fact that because he put three justices on the Supreme Court— Roe was overturned. But I want to start by talking about Chris Christie. Uh, because let's play, here's Christie walking into a he very unfriendly territory. And this is what happened when he chose to criticize Trump in front of him. Let's listen. I'm running because he's let us down. He has let us down because he's unwilling He's unwilling to take responsibility for any of the mistakes that were made, any, uh, any of the faults that he has, and any of the things that he's done. And that is not leadership, everybody. That is a failure of leadership. And I, you can boo all you want, but here's the thing. Our faith teaches us that people have to take responsibility for what they do. People have to stand up and take accountability for what they do. Interesting mix of reaction there. At the end, he got some applause. But, Rick, your thoughts? Well, a, a couple of things from the coverage. Uh, number one, that's certainly a message that's not going to work with that group or I don't <laughs> even think Republican primary voters, period. Um, I would call it the Trump wall. Um, but the other message that did work, and this is a perfect contrast from what we were just talking about with Governor Kemp, the message that did work was the Trump message. He talked about abortion. He talked about transgender rights. He talked about his indictment. He talked about the border. He talked about the election being stolen from him. If they want to run on that, they're going to lose. And contrast that message with what we were just talking about with Governor Kemp, jobs, economic prosperity, the old Republican message, 
And that really is the battle for the soul of the Republican Party that's going on right now. Patricia, we should point out that NBC uh, News just released its most recent poll. And since his indictment on federal criminal charges, Trump's numbers have only gone up in among GOP primary voters. Yeah, I think that Donald Trump is most likely to win the GOP nomination. I think people should just get comfortable with that reality unless something huge happens and he goes to jail and you can still run for president from jail, by the way. Um, But, you know, somebody like Chris Christie, once you're telling a GOP audience you can boo all you want, there is no need to run for that nomination. There's there's like a saying in politics, the cat doesn't. Republicans do not like Chris Christie at this point. Not a not a mass, not a critical mass. <laughs> Nobody's crying out for Chris Christie's leadership, who almost went to jail himself. His chief of staff went to jail based on his conduct in New Jersey. Um, I think he is a necessary voice in the Republican conversation. But as far as his chances of winning, I, listen, the the GOP convention in Columbus would not have gone for Chris Christie. At the same time, they were not universally behind Donald Trump. I think the Donald Trump, the anti-Donald Trump voices of Republicans are being so drowned out um, and so subdivided by all these other candidates. It just feels like we're watching a replay of 2016. Um, Sam? So I, I think what's very telling, consistent with what Rich just stated, is that for many Republicans, they don't care about the weaknesses of Donald Trump. They care about the end result. And uh, and for many of us, that's a real problem. Um, and, you know, at the same time, you've gotten a group, No Labels, which candidly has made plenty of mistakes to compound the situation. But I think more and more with the political parties, the uh, ends are what counts and not the means. Um, Michael, in the meantime, um, there are some warning shots uh, fired by Democrats this weekend. Democratic leaders saying, do not take Donald Trump for granted. Rick Dent's point is that you can't win with the kind of messaging uh, Donald Trump is putting out there. And that very well, well might be true. But Biden's got a lot of negatives uh, going on his side of this thing. And so Democrats have got to be very careful, right, Michael, not to think they've got this in the bag if Trump is the GOP nominee. The first law of political engagement, never overestimate your own strength or underestimate the strength of your opponent. Donald Trump is a real and present uh, force in politics. But I think Christie and to some extent Pence and other Republicans are speaking even beyond the primary. The key is, of course, not to allow him to get back to the White House. There's not a real path that can deny him the nomination, at least not based on current facts. But there is a path to deny him the White House. And sometimes we, the cycle is playing out maybe six or eight or even a year from now when the, if he gets the nomination, will he be able to be uh, prevented from securing uh, the White House and the presidency again? I do believe, Bill, that a political realignment is taking place. Uh, what you see is the Georgia Republican Party, one of the most popular governors, Republican governors in America. Think about that. 
Governor Brian Kemp has been divorced from the Georgia Republican Party simply because he embraces the end and recognizes that you can't really govern under the tyranny of the or. What you all just described was that, yes, you can be for uh, uh, EV and electric vehicles, but you just deal with the and and not or. What Trump wing, what the Trump wing of the Republican Party and other extremists, they don't want an and. They seek an or. If you can't get to or, they don't really care much about and. That's not governing. That's electioneering. And that's why we don't progress. We don't succeed when we focus more on or as opposed to and. Um, before we get away from the subject completely, Patricia, of course, age is one of the factors that is weighing against Biden's reelection chances. I, just as a side note, I think it's fascinating that um, over the weekend, Jeffrey Katzenberg, one of the real Hollywood uh, moguls uh, forever, uh, said uh, sent a message to Biden saying, embrace your age. If Harrison Ford can play Indiana Jones at age 80, no reason why you shouldn't celebrate your age. I just thought that was a lovely way to put it, Patricia. That's so nice. Joe Biden needs to stop tripping. (laughs) I mean, they need to stage manage this person to make sure he stays upright at the GOP convention, I'll say again. One of the videos that got the hugest applause was Joe Biden tripping on his way up the stairs of Air Force One. It just creates such an enduring impression, and they play it over and over. It's in multiple GOP commercials right now. Um, So he should, yes, embrace his age and wisdom. However, they need to manage this situation, I think, because, and don't put a sandbag next to him at a speech that he's just going to trip over, which is what happened at the Air Force Academy. Um, I do hear that concern from voters. They really do. Even Democrats are like, eh, I don't know, but he's way better than Trump in their opinion. So they're going to vote for him. Um, but I do think they could kind of more tightly choreograph the situation to ensure that he continues to hopefully project maybe even more stability simply on his feet, to be honest with you. Rick, quick word before the break. Yeah. Hey, I know y'all all remember the great Ronald Reagan line when he addressed age. I'm not going to let my opponent's youth and inexperience. I'm not going to make that an issue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, let's do this. Let's get to our final break of the show. Back with more in a moment. Patricia Murphy, uh, special counsel uh, Jack Smith, uh, who, of course, has already indicted uh, Donald Trump on 37 criminal counts for mishandling of presidential records, uh, has now offered immunity to two Nevada fake electors in exchange, presumably, for their testimony about how this whole web of fake electors came to be in a number of states, including, of course, uh, Georgia. And the question becomes, other news organizations have followed up on that by saying, yes, it does appear the fake electors are now part of this other Jack Smith investigation about the attempts to overturn the election results. Um, If that's the case, it could pose potential real uh, legal jeopardy for some of the Georgia fake electors, not just in a Fonnie Willis investigation, but uh, in a federal case. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there will certainly be these parallel um, investigations and potential prosecutions because the Georgia situation that we saw play out here with that group of Republicans meeting behind closed doors uh, to sign and certify Republican electors in Georgia, even though Joe Biden had won the state, um, the exact same thing happened in multiple states. So that mm-hmm. starts to make it look and feel like something that is highly coordinated. <clears throat> and if it's criminal, a potential conspiracy. And so that is um, there. Obviously, uh, many of them have already been given immunity here in Georgia, um, but there is continued exposure um, on the federal level, I think, for everybody involved in that situation. Sam Olins, um, it, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I, we, we know from the um, January 6th committee reporting that the effort to gather together a number of, of fake elector uh, uh, groups to be available to present their credentials uh, at in Congress to make Donald Trump president again was coordinated from the White House um, and from White House counsel. So the question, Sam, becomes whether you can create, you're the attorney, you and Michael Thurman, a a conspiracy charge around all of this. So I'm a little reluctant to talk about White House counsel uh, because I think a lot of the folks around Trump at that time arguably were, uh, maybe didn't have that officialdom that that you're giving them at the moment. Um, I agree with you that the, there's certainly an argument for conspiracy and obstruction, as um, Patricia said earlier. I, I think, candidly, the bigger issue is Trump's inability to follow the advice of counsel and shut up. I mean, the fact of the matter is he made another comment at Ralph Reed's convention that you will hear at trial that he had the automatic right to take whatever he wanted and do with it however he wanted. These quotes are music to the prosecutor's ears. And at a given point, really um, provide much concern for any decent criminal defense attorney. Uh, Okay, Rick. I can't help but turn to you when it comes to a candidate who won't uh, pay attention to what his advisors are telling him to do or not to do. Yeah, You know, the two worst kinds of candidates are the stupid ones because you have no idea what they're going to say. And the really smart ones who think they are so smart, they can say anything. So it works on both both extremes. These days, these days, the good news is you can actually have a campaign and you don't have to talk to the press. You don't have to do interviews. You don't even have to show up anymore and you can win. Yeah. OK, thank you for that. Michael Thurman, let me turn to you, if I might. You know, we, we talked on the show on Friday um, about with with the uh, anniversary of the Dobbs decision overturning Roe. Uh, coming on Saturday, and, and, and of course, a lot of attention focused on what's happened to abortion uh, since then. And, and we talked about the fact that uh, the American uh, people are more uh, f- favorable toward choice today than they were a year ago by pretty big numbers, especially in the first trimester. 
um, and uh, 538 put together a number of polls and, and concluded this. 538 finds that after one of the most disruptive Supreme Court decisions in generations, many Americans, including women, young people, and Democrats, are reporting more liberal views on abortion than major pollsters have seen in years. Even conservatives, although the changes are slight, are increasingly supportive of abortion rights. Women, young people, and Democrats are veering left. So, Michael, here's why I, I frame that around this. In 2022, it was surprising that uh, Dobbs did not end up being a major issue in many races, but it looks like things are changing, and in 2024, it could be much more significant. Michael? Well, absolutely. This Supreme Court that the Christian conservatives were celebrating and complimenting uh, Donald Trump, at least he was taking credit for, clearly on Dobbs was a decision out of step with mainstream thinking, Republican, Democrat, independent, uh, all races and colors increase here in this country. And I think over the next coming election cycles, you will see more and more men and women elected to office who represent that view. Uh, that's a rejection of extremism. And that's basically what this entire panel has been about this morning, if you really think of all the issues we'll discuss. America is moving away from the extremes. You cannot govern, you cannot help, you cannot progress this country from the extreme right or the left for that matter. And so what we are seeing and why Joe Biden is president is he believed that we don't give him enough credit. When all of us, most of the smart people were saying that no, uh, no moderate um, uh, center right candidate, a center left candidate can get elected he proved them wrong. I believe he will prove them wrong again. And that's why Donald Trump will not be president uh, at the end of the next election cycle. America is just not there. It's an and, and yet, not an or. I, I apologize uh, for interrupting. No, go you there, ahead. Michael. I'm sorry. Uh, and, go ahead. And, 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 no, you're fine. And yet, Patricia, uh, again, the Faith and Freedom uh, Coalition Conference uh, showed us that Republicans are going to follow their uh, anti abortion stance all the way through to the primaries. Um, every candidate said they were basically against uh, abortion uh, with maybe some uh, uh, exceptions. Mike Pence is saying that he would like to see uh, federal law that would uh, ban abortion at a certain point. I can't remember the exact na- uh, 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 details of that. Maybe uh, you do, but uh, they're all moving as far to the right on abortion as they can. Um, yeah, they definitely are. I think they see that as a huge winning issue in their own Republican primary. It's a problem for them in the general, but I mean, here in Georgia, it really didn't make much difference. Um, I think in some districts it did, some state level districts it did, suburban districts. Um, but I mean, Brian Kemp won by seven points and he signed one of the most restrictive abortion bills, which by the way, it isn't just six weeks. This can happen to a woman as early as four weeks of pregnancy. So this is essentially an abortion ban for all intents and purposes, except for the earliest cases. Um, I do think Democrats have some work to do on their messaging, because when you try to have Democrats specify where they want the policy to be, which restrictions they might be comfortable with, um, in a lot of cases, including um, Stacey Abrams, 
there they did not articulate any limit at all. I don't think that's where the majority of Georgians are either. Um, so I think there was not a great place for some moderates to go if they if they're moderate Republican, independent. They hear what re Republicans are saying. They're saying, "Eh," but then you go to the Democratic side, and it doesn't sound like that policy is fully thought out or fully formed beyond women should have the right. And I think they need to refine that as well. Yeah, I, I, Rick, I think Patricia makes a good point with the Democrats having to refine their message. But you sent me an article from Politico um, it, it, that, that you were particularly interested in, in, in which the headline of the article is Fighting for Trust, the Painful Journey of the Supreme Court after Dobbs. Why did you send that article? Why is that of interest to you? Well, it was kind of interesting because, um, number one, some of the court observers said that the, the leak of the Dobbs decision was like an adultery in a relationship, and it has completely broken the trust among those justices up there. I think the other two points was that that court has broken into two tribes. They, were, they are as tribal as the nation that they're supposed to represent. Um, and then finally, one of the justices said to someone else, I know who did this. I just can't prove it enough uh, to say their name. And that is certainly something that's got to split that court. Unfortunately, I think what the main thesis of that story was is that we now just have a bunch of politicians on the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, and of course, it was the Dobbs decision and the fight over that that, that. that really precipitated okay. a lot of the other tensions. Sam Olins, is there a place to be a somewhat pro-choice—I don't know how to say that—to to believe that there is a right to choice to a certain point in the Republican Party, or are those days over with? You know, similar to what Mike said earlier today, uh, I think at a given point, both parties will moderate. I don't think either party is moderate at the moment, but I think that will occur as a necessity— and people will find some more common cause. Uh, I think that clearly will happen. Um, now let me be inappropriate from your perspective, Bill, noting the time. I just wanna thank you for the opportunity to have been on numerous shows with you. I wanna thank you a lot for uh, having me tag team with my older brother, Mike Thurmond. He is such a quality act. And Patricia, Rick, the folks on your show, uh, a great uh, service to our state. And I just want to thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you for Bia, saying thank that. Thank you Mike. so much. Bill, thank you for giving my career breath. You found me, but no one knew my name, and you gave me profile, and I'll never forget it as long as I live. I, so thank you. I. And, and I want to say that he is my CEO. I can call Mike Thurman and make sure my garbage gets picked up correctly. What more can you ask for? <laughs> and, and Sam Olins, I want to note that when I asked you if there's a place for pro-choice Republicans, you really ducked the question. But thank you for the compliment about me. <laughs> All right. We're out of time. Rick Dent, Sam Olins, Michael Thurman, Patricia Murphy. What a great way. Uh, to start the week. Thank you very much. You covered a lot of ground, and I appreciate it greatly. Take care, everybody. I'm Bill Nygut. I said it. Take care, stay healthy, and yes, be good to one another. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>